Good morning. Thank you, Jillian. Beautiful, beautiful song. One of my favorite hymns of all time, so thank you for blessing us with that this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. And happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. You are all highly appreciated and valued here at Grace Life. And this morning, we want to encourage you, we want to celebrate you, and hopefully challenge you as we consider God's Word. With that being said, I want to say on the front end that I think we all recognize that not everyone views Mother's Day or Father's Day in the same way. And so for many, like me, it's a reminder of loss or, or pain. But we want to preach the whole counsel of God. And the Bible speaks much of motherhood. And so today, because it is Mother's Day, we want to see what God's Word has to say about being a mother. All of us here today have at least two things in common. First, we're all sinners. Most of us, hopefully, sinners saved by the amazing grace of God, but sinners nonetheless. And second, the second thing that we have in common is that we all have a mother. And, and though me and my siblings lost our mother way back in 1991, I am so thankful for her and the ministry that she had in my life. She was a gem. You would have loved her. She was kind and gentle and as loyal and as faithful as you can get. She was a hard worker. She was multi-talented. I miss her very, very much. One of my greatest earthly sorrows is that my three kids never got to know my mom. Well, this past week, uh, I came across a recent article that was published in Valiant CEO magazine that listed the 30 hardest jobs in the world. So it piqued my interest. I read the article. It's very interesting. Very interesting list. And I won't get into all the details, but here are the top 10 hardest jobs in the world, according to this article. Number one was the military. Number two, healthcare worker. Number three, Alaskan crab fisherman. Number four, iron and steel worker. Number five, a roofer. Number six, cell tower climber. Number seven, firefighter. Number eight, oil rig worker. Number nine, search and rescue worker. And number 10, a prison warden. Police officer was 17th on the list. Farmer was 23rd on the list. And stuntman was 27th on the list. So I'm reading down through the list, and I keep waiting for the job pastor to pop up. But it never did, because there are many days when pastors would be glad to be a healthcare worker on an Alaskan crab boat who has to put out a fire on the roof of the boat, but I digress. I must say, I've never personally sat down to compile a list like this, but just off the top of my head, I cannot imagine a more difficult job than being a mother. I watched my mom very closely. I have watched my wife very closely. 
I've watched the moms in our church very, very closely. And being a mother is a hard job. But while it's an extremely hard job, I cannot imagine a more rewarding and fruitful job. Moms are frontline ministers in the lives of their children. They tend to their children's needs. They're their primary caregivers, comforters, consolers, encouragers, fixers. And in many cases, teachers and disciplinarians, you name it, and moms do it. So I've asked you to turn to the book of Proverbs this morning because I want to share with you about the ministry of motherhood. The ministry of motherhood. And here in the book of Proverbs, we find the goal of motherhood and fatherhood all bound up in one verse. And it's one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. It's Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. And that verse says this. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs are Proverbs. They're they're not promises. This is actually more of a warning that if parents allow their children to go their own way, there will be consequences. Kathy and I began our family way back in the dark ages, we, we had two verses prominently displayed in our home as a reminder. This verse in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, and Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, which says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those two verses prominently displayed in our house, ever before our eyes, whenever we would go into one of our rooms in our house, we would see those on the wall, and it would be a reminder that this is our desire. This is our goal. As Kathy and I came together as husband and wife, we wanted to love each other in a way that would honor the Lord. We wanted to have children and raise children for them to know God and to know Christ as their Savior and for them to love the things that the Lord loves. And we didn't do that perfectly. We made a lot of mistakes along the way. We struggled with what those two verses would look like in real life. But that was our goal. That was our desire. Now, there's a lot that goes with that proverb about training up a child, and we hope to give a clearer picture of how God's Word empowers and instructs mothers and fathers, by the way, to train up their children. And so as we begin today, flip over with me to chapter 31 of Proverbs, and we'll see what a godly woman does. There's a description there that often makes women and perhaps mothers cringe, but this is affectionately known as the chapter that contains the characteristics of a virtuous, godly woman. A woman, a mother who desires to please her God. And I'm not going to read all of this, but notice here in verse 27 of chapter 31, that the godly mother feeds and clothes her family. She teaches her children well. She watches over the activities of her family, all the while supporting and building up her husband. 
And because she does all these things, her children rise up and bless her. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. And so at the heart of every Christian mom is the fear and reverence of the Lord. This morning, as we celebrate Mother's Day, I want to share with you what God's Word has to say about the ministry of motherhood. And make no mistake, it is indeed a ministry. All of us have been given a ministry, and the impact that mothers have on their children is immense. And so in line of that, today I'd like to give you eight characteristics of a godly mother. Eight characteristics of a godly mother. And first... The first characteristic is that a godly mother is godly. (laughs) A godly mother is godly. And that may sound a bit redundant, but it's important to make the point. A godly mother is godly. Sometimes we need to define terms. But someone who is godly obeys God. They follow the pattern of God. They're desirous of being like God as much as possible. And of course, the only way for anyone to do that is to be immersed in his word. A godly mother's source book, rule book, go-to in all that she does is the word of God. The word of God is a lamp unto her feet and a light unto her path. And she lives the way he wants her to live. And so that is foundational this morning. And the basis for everything that we want to say, a godly mother is godly. She cares more about what God thinks than what anyone else thinks. Second, a godly mother is content. It's no mistake that the Apostle Paul marries up the idea of godliness and contentment in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 when he wrote to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so a godly mom is a content mom. She's content with what she's been given and where she's at in her life. In other words, she desires to give the Lord glory in her current circumstance. She's a good steward of what she has been entrusted, what she has been given, and she concentrates on how she can use what God has given her to his glory. The Apostle Paul shared the secret to his contentment in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, when he said that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Well, we know the context there, right? We know that he says, I know what it's like to have nothing, virtually nothing. But I also know, on the other hand, what it's like to have a lot. But it doesn't matter if I have virtually nothing or I have a lot. My contentment is not found in circumstances. It's not found in empty uh, things of this earth. His contentment is found solely in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he can do all things, whatever it may be, whatever the difficulty may be in his life, He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And in the same way, a godly mother operates in the fear of the Lord with the strength that he applies. Now, we've already established that motherhood is very, very demanding 
It's very difficult. It's very difficult. My dad used to tell me that things aren't worth much unless they cost a little bit. And what he meant by that is that the things that are most valuable in life are the things that you must put effort into and energy into. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a mom. The Apostle Paul says that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. When we think of someone who is godly, we we think of someone who is also content with how God has made them. Right? If they're a man, they're content with being a man. If they're a woman, they're content with being a woman. God has afforded mothers with the special gift of raising their children. We might say that they are the first-line nurturers of their children, but they are also to model contentment because God has reserved certain other responsibilities to fathers and to men. If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, this is the same epistle, the same letter that Paul writes to his dear son in the faith, Timothy. We looked at 1 Timothy 6, 6 that says godliness with contentment is great gain. But prior to all this, prior to all this, Paul is writing to Timothy And in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, he's very pointed about something. He's very pointed. He says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. So a godly mother is content with the creation order. A godly mother is content with God's design that men are to lead in their homes and they're to lead in the church, that men and women are spiritually equal in value and worth in the eyes of God and are indeed co-heirs of the grace of life, but God has restricted women from teaching the Bible to men or exercising authority over men in the context of the local church. Clear, plain teaching of God's Word. And we're not going to shy away from it. In our church, when we started the church some 12 years ago, to honor God's Word and His teaching in this regard, we made the decision that beginning in junior high, that... When there is mixed company, we will have male teachers. And we do, and we have, and we will continue to honor God's word as it relates to this command. And the reason why we do it, the best way we can somehow come up with an idea as to when this begins is back in Jewish culture when a young boy would turn 13 years of age, 12, 13 years of age, he would enter into manhood. And so in our church, we have tried to honor the Word of God as it relates to this principle that God has laid out for us here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And a godly mother is content with that. 
and celebrates God's design and teaches her design to her children. Charles Spurgeon once said this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over this world is because the world has so much influence over the church. This was a long time ago. It has gotten exponentially worse. I've seen a downgrade in the last 30 years of ministry like I never would imagine. The culture is determining what happens in churches. Because of the pressure of society, churches are caving left and right. It's not right. Sinful. Weak. Look, we are Christians, right? That means that we identify with Christ. Christ is the author of this book. He has told us what he wants us to do. How hard is it? How hard is it? To me, it's easy. It is so easy. Look, we're just going to be faithful. Whatever God says, that's what we're going to try to do. Are we going to do it perfectly? Unfortunately not, because we're not perfect in and of ourselves. But this is, this is right. Timeless. The principle I read to you in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is a timeless, universal principle. Things have not changed From then to now, it's in the context of the church, in the context of the greater church, it's a universal principle that is based upon the creation order. It's not based upon culture. It's not based upon the whims of people, what they think, what other people think. Do it any way you want. God is pleased with it. No. It's based on the creation order. From the beginning of time, God designed it that men and women would be different. We would have different roles. We'd have different responsibilities. God would give the gift of childbearing to women. He would give a special desire and love that a mother would have for her children. A special relationship that Kathy has with our kids that I don't have. I'm their dad. I've got that relationship, but I don't have the same relationship that she does as a mother. It's not that difficult to follow what God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. So a godly mother is not influenced by the culture. She's influenced by the word of God. She stands firm on what God says, not what the culture says. And so a godly mother is content. Third, a godly mother is an example You know, children spend so much time with their mothers that they know whether their mom is the real deal or not, right? I mean, I knew that about my mom. I knew if she was the real deal or not. I think kids are very intuitive. They study their mom. They study their dad. You know, people watch our lives. Believe it or not, even in today's culture where things are out of whack, People are still watching very intently. It's amazing to me what some of the things my neighbors notice about me and Kathy. I don't know. Are they looking out their window? Why do they have an interest in our life? But they do. And I have an interest in their life. And I love them. And we're, we're trying to minister to those that are in our, our neighborhoods. 
But people are watching our lives. And as it relates to mothers, like it or not, mothers will have an immense impact on their children. That's God's design. I love the example that Paul gives to Timothy's mother and grandmother, again, in a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. But it's the second letter, the second epistle, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, and it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Three generations of faithfulness. So like so many of us, Timothy was greatly impacted by his mom and his grandma. I love being a grandpa. Those of you who are grandmothers and grandfathers, you know the blessing that it is to be a grandma or a grandpa. And it's not just all fun. We have a ministry in the lives of our grandkids. And so if our grandkids are with us, we try to teach them or to implant godly principles, commands by God in their life. If one of my grandkids come up in my lap, sometimes I'll start talking to them about the Bible verses that they are learning in Sunday school, or I'll talk to them about a Bible story, or I'll talk to them about how God is working in my life. Our moms, our grandmas, our dads, our grandfathers, we have an impact in the lives of people. And so Timothy was greatly impacted by his mom and his grandma. God uses those who are the closest to us to impact us the most. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense that we would be impacted by the people that we see the most, that we interact with the most, that are in our life the most. And who is in the lives of their kids more than their mom? Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. And I think it's a legitimate question for all of us, whether we're a mom or a dad or we don't have children, do we have a faith worth imitating? Ask yourself the question, do you have a faith worth imitating? In other words, would we want other people to be like us? Would we want our children to grow up and be like us? Having the same priorities that we have, the same habits the same language, the same commitment to Christ and his church. What do others see when they view our lives? Do they see someone who is faithful, obedient, loves Christ, loves his church, desires to honor Christ in all that they do? Or do they see someone who is pretty wishy-washy at best? Fourth, a godly mother is loving. A godly mother is loving. So in short, a godly mother loves who and what the Lord loves. Okay? So a godly mother, in fact, perhaps an addendum to the definition of a godly mother, a godly mother is one who loves who and what the Lord loves. And so she loves the church. 
Because Jesus loves the church. She loves her children so much that she will discipline them when necessary. She loves them enough to tell them no. Do we hear this word used as much as we used to? Hey, I'm a student of human behavior. I've been placed in a role as a pastor to be able to observe the behavior of people. And so I do more when Kathy sends me to the grocery store. I do more than just go to get what I need to get. Although I am one of these guys that just goes in, goes to the section that I need to go to, I get what I need to get, I don't hover in the store. I don't need to walk down the dog food aisle. We do not have a dog. And so I just get in and get out. But while I'm in, (laughs) probably a lot like you, I observe human behavior. It's like a sport for me. It's like I can't turn it off. I'm watching how parents parent their kids while they're in the store. I'm sorry, I would not got by, have gotten by with any of this stuff. My mom would have tanned my rear end in the middle of the aisle of the store, and I know that people can't do that anymore and all these kinds of things, but I don't think my mom cared a whole lot about that back in the day. She wanted me to obey. God says, children, obey your parents. Kids, did you hear that? God says, obey your parents. Well, what if I don't agree? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you agree or not. Unless they ask you to sin, and then it matters. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So obedience, I say obedience is temporary, Right? Because when our kids move out of our home, they no longer have to obey us. They've started their own home. They don't have to obey us any longer. But honor is for a lifetime. Honor your mother. Honor your father. A godly mother is loving. She loves what the Lord loves. She loves who the Lord loves loves. She loves her kids enough to discipline them. Hey, this is why it makes it such a hard job, because kids don't always obey. They don't always obey. They don't always want to do what you tell them to do. But who has more resolve? I used to tell my kids, I have far more resolve than you. If you want to play the long game, we'll play the long game. But you will obey us. When your mom tells you to do something, you better do it. If I ask you to do something, you better do it. So it's part of love. Discipline is a part of love. Proverbs 23 and verse 13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. Proverbs 13, 24 warns that if discipline is withheld from a child, we spoil the kid. We turn him into a brat. We allow him to be a brat. The brats I see when I go to Walmart. So many times I want to go up and put my arm around the mom or the dad and say, Do you see what you're doing? 
I want to hold a service in Walmart in the aisle. Gather around. <laughs> Let's look at God's Word. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it completely wrong. As it relates to the Lord, the Scriptures remind us that part of love is doing whatever is best for another. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For those whom the Lord loves, He what? He disciplines. You see, part of love is loving someone enough to tell them they're wrong, to discipline them. It isn't loving. It is not loving to let our children do whatever they want to do. That's not loving. That's shirking your responsibility because you know better, right? Parents need to teach their children to honor and obey them. Instant obedience. When you tell your child to do something, they need to do it. When you say it, not 10 minutes down the road, not after you count to three, when you say to your child, I want you to do this, go do this, they need to do it. And if they don't do it, then there needs to be consequences. Children, you are to honor and obey your parents. This is what the Bible says. I referred to it earlier, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. A godly mother loves her family so much that she's willing to lay down her life for them. I'll never forget when I was young. I, I don't know how old I was. I remember vividly. I could have been 10, 12. I don't know. But the neighbor boy, was three or four years older than me, had me down in my front yard with both of his hands around my neck, sitting on me, trying to choke me out. My mom sees this from the house, and out she comes with the broom, and she starts pounding on this kid. Boom, boom, get off of my son, get off of my son. She gets on his back, she takes the broom, puts it around his neck. Punch him in the face, Dave, she says. Punch him in the face. (laughs) Wow. That's the love of a mother. That's the love of a mother willing to lay down her life for her children. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, and I've been talking a lot about 1 Corinthians 13 recently because I think we look at it as a wedding verse or something that we read at a wedding, and I do. At every wedding, when I talk about the love that the husband is to have for his wife, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We're to have the same kind of love, the same kind of sacrificial love that God had for the church. That's the love we're to have for our wives. So what does that look like? What is that? Well, the same Greek word is used in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and it says that love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. 
It, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. A godly mother is loving. Fifth, a godly mother is a mother. A godly mother is a mother. Moms and dads, God hasn't entrusted children to you for you to be their buddies, but their parents. Parents have to do hard things. Sure, we, we all want people to like us. As parents, we want our children to like us, but not at the expense of teaching truth to our kids and holding them accountable. That's our job. And we will stand before the Lord as to how we have parented our children. Kathy and I are very close to our kids. We love them more than they'll ever know. And we love our grandkids as well. And while we may spend time together, and we very, very much may enjoy that, and we're going to do that today, we're still their parents. And while they no longer have to obey us, honor is for a lifetime. You know, we had a good game plan going into our younger years of parenting, uh, but we hadn't done it. And so you learn as you go, right? I would regularly tell our kids, your mom and I are a unit. Don't ever try to divide. Kids are smart. They can figure it out. If they can play mom against dad and get what they want, they'll do it. And so I would tell our kids, even from the time they were very little, that mom and I are a unit. Don't try to divide us. It's not going to work. Moms and dads need to be on the same page, and our kids need to know that. Well, how can we be on the same page? We don't have the same ideas as it relates to parenting. I understand that. There's a lot of communication that has to happen. But remember that God has wired us a certain way. And in God's providence in his word he has made the husband to be the leader of his home and so sometimes moms and wives if we come to an impasse and we can't work this out we can't talk this out the exact way that we want to do this unless your husband is asking you to sin then god says that you are to place yourself under their leadership in the home which makes the bar really high for the dad. Really high. You can't take your responsibility as a father and as a husband willy-nilly. You must take it seriously before the Lord because the Lord will hold the father, will hold the husband accountable for how he is led in the home. Parents need to make decisions as to what they believe is best for their children. And it may not be the same for every family unit. And we should recognize that. As we get very practical, one of the big decisions that parents often have to make is how they're going to school their children. Right? If you have children that are school age, you've had to decide how you're going to do that. Right? So I get asked all of the time uh, if I'm an advocate for homeschooling. And, and I will say, yes, absolutely. But, but it doesn't matter whether parents choose to homeschool or send their children to a Christian school or a private school or a public school. The responsibilities for parents remain the same. 
Each of our children both attended Christian schools and public schools, and there were pros and cons to both. So whatever schooling options parents choose, we're supportive of that choice. But all Christian parents everywhere are responsible to God to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. We don't abrogate our responsibilities to a school or to a co-op or even to the church, although the church certainly should serve as a trusted partner with our parents. But the bottom line is a godly mother, godly parents tell their children the truth the truth about their sin and the truth that salvation is available to all who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And as parents, the Lord will not hold us responsible for the results, but he he will hold us responsible for being faithful, for being obedient to his word. Six, a godly mother is an evangelist. An evangelist. A godly mother wants more than anything for her children to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I am so impressed by the moms of our church. I can't even tell you. I would love to just talk about that for a while. Just the faithfulness of the moms in our church who, even though they're dead dog tired, they have their kids sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Not just in here, but in their classes. On Wednesday night in Awana. And on and on we can go. She, along with her, their father, should make it their number one priority to evangelize their children. In other words, it's one thing to model a life dedicated to Christ, but it's quite another to introduce them to Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, that the power of God unto salvation is found solely in the gospel message. Our chief mission as parents is not to raise morally upright children. Our chief mission is not to raise good citizens who one day will get a good job. Our chief mission is to model Christ in the life of our children and introduce them to Jesus. To, to evangelize our children. And this goes along with number six. Number seven, a godly mother is a disciple maker. A godly mother is a disciple maker. Let, let's consider the great commission. Jesus commanded his followers to go into all the world and make disciples. Right? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. That commission given to his disciples prior to his departure, prior to his ascension up into heaven, that commission is perpetuated through Christ's church of which all who are in Christ are members. And the beauty of fulfilling this command for parents is that we have been given a built-in family of potential disciples. So evangelizing and making disciples of our children is our top priority This has always been God's design for all parents in all time. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, this is almost 3,000 years ago, 20, 
500 to 3,000 years ago. When Moses recorded what we know as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah and Jewish nomenclature, it's called the Torah, Matthew, or uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find this call for parents. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Moses writes this, Hear, O Israel, he's, he's talking to all of the people of God. The Lord is our God, he says. The Lord is one. So, we're monotheists. There's one God. One God. Three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And that is repeated in the New Testament Gospels. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, here's what he says. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That's pretty much all day long. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why? Because that's the job of parents. That's our job. God's entrusted children to us so that we may tell them about Jesus. Built in potential disciples. And then number eight, finally. A godly mother is godly. You might say, hey, that, that was number one. It's so important, I wanted to repeat it again. A godly mother is godly. A godly mother, a godly parent, loves the Lord more than their children. Jesus was very clear about this in Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. Listen to this. The words of Jesus, our Savior, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. We love our kids. And while we love our children, we don't live for our children. We live for Christ. He is to be preeminent in our lives. And while we live for Christ, we love our kids. We lo love our grandkids more than they'll ever know. But we long for them to know the Savior so that they may love Him too. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I think, wrote 13 uh, epistles in the New Testament. One of them was written to Titus. First and Second Timothy and Titus are referred to as the pastoral epistles. We get a lot of pastoral theology from those. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, after Paul instructs Timothy that older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. 
to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And if you're there in Titus chapter 2, drop down to verse 11, because then he speaks of the pursuit of godliness. Titus 2, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So the grace of God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Did you catch it in the middle of those verses? And to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. A lot of people would say, you know, it's a lot more difficult today to live godly than it used to be because of all the stuff that we are subject to in the culture i would contend it's just the opposite to me there's such a stark difference between those who love christ and want to honor christ and want to be obedient to his word there's such a stark difference today to me it seems even though it, i get it it seems easier to me It seems easier. There's a stark difference between the culture, our society, their way of living, what they value, what they place as a priority. A stark, stark difference. You know, Paul is talking here with Titus that we live with Jesus' return in view. I've talked with a lot of you older folks in our church and it, I see it, and it's, this, it's, it's similar in my own life. I, I didn't think about eternity as much when I was younger. You know what I mean by that? I mean, you know, we think, ah, we're 30 years old, we're going to live forever. Well, then we get older. We start to have aches and pains. We've got to sit down sometimes when we preach sermons. Pathetic. I think about eternity a lot more now than I used to. Paul's telling Timothy or Titus, we live in light of the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. Please, let's not get so caught up in the things of this world and all the duties and responsibilities that we have and forget what life is about, why God put us on the earth, And that Jesus is coming again. God has brought salvation to all men in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift that we can give others, including our children and our grandchildren, is to model godly living and point them to Christ. I entitled our sermon for this, this morning, The Ministry of Motherhood. And I believe that with all of my heart 
And I don't need to convince you that motherhood is indeed a vital, vital ministry. Motherhood is a ministry. See it that way. Fatherhood is a ministry. Grandparenthood, which is way better than parenthood. Right, grandparents? It's a ministry. It's a ministry. May the Lord use our moms in the way that He would desire. May He use our dads and all of us in the lives of other people. Hey, it's okay to celebrate moms. We celebrate, celebrate Christ first, who is the, the Savior of moms. We, we celebrate it all together. The Bible talks a lot, a lot about motherhood. And so thank you for the example that so many of you are. Thank you for our older women who are ministering to our younger women. And thank you to our moms. What a vital ministry in the lives of your children. And we see it. We see it. And we thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Uh, you, you, you've given us everything we needed to know. Everything we don't, we don't have everything you know, but we have everything you want us to know. And you have talked a lot in your word about parenting, about motherhood, about fatherhood. And we thank you for that so that we know how to live our lives for you. And so, Lord, I want to thank you and I want to celebrate our moms today. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you for my mom, who, although her life was short, had an immense impact on me. Thank you for my wife, who has had an immense impact on her children. Thank you for the moms who are here today at Grace Life, for their love for you, their desire to minister to their husbands, to their kids, to the rest of us. We thank you. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that Jesus loves his church and that we can love it too. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. Amen.